Hey everyone, Justin Thind here, and welcome to another episode of the SD4L Show. Today's episode will be a discussion with my colleague, Stephen Brooks, the Michigan State beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Big fan of his work, not just saying that because I work with him, think he's one of the foremost authorities on Michigan State athletics, and um, always recommend reading him. Before I turn it over to my conversation with Stephen, a little disclaimer, the um, episode that we were recording kind of had the first 13 minutes of the auto file corrupted somehow at the onset of saving it. So you will get the final 30 minutes or so of that. Um, it coincidentally picked up right where we were talking about the win-loss predictions right at the beginning of that discussion. Before that, kind of the, the, the discussion was centered around the QB play, the wide receiver two and three spots. And uh, pretty much the standards of they have to make a bowl game this year, um, unless there's injuries uh, that are even worse than last year, there really isn't any excuse to not at least win six games, even though it's probably going to be harder to win more than that. Uh, we'll get to that, though, in the actual part of the discussion that, that should be playing here shortly. But the um, quarterback play and the wide receiver play, kind of similar sentiments there. Um, for both spots, there should be enough guys where – the baseline play shouldn't be too bad to the point where they don't win six games. Um, the, the ceiling is probably not that great, but the floor should be at a decent spot. At quarterback, one of Noah Kim or Kayton Hauser should be able to um, help the program tread water enough this year so that they win six games, even if neither of them are spectacular. Um, but I guess it, it is possible they could be spectacular or they could be horrible. But um, for the most part, when you have two guys that are neck and neck like that, the floor shouldn't be too low. Um, and then wide receiver, same thing. After Trey Mosley, you're looking at Elante Brown, um, Montori Foster, Tyrell Henry, Jerron Glover, Christian Fitzpatrick, Antonio Gates. So with the amount of people that you're looking at for those two spots after Trey Mosley, you'd think that two of those guys should be able to hit just playing the odds. Um, and by hit, just meaning like at a baseline Big Ten level. Um, again, that's probably not going to be good enough to get them to like 10 wins or anything like that. But in terms of them making a bowl game in that context, that should be good enough. Um, but yeah, that pretty much summarizes and paraphrases what that part of the discussion was. Obviously it was much longer, but, um, you can get Steven's full thoughts when he releases his win loss record piece here in the coming days. I'll be putting mine out as well, probably either Wednesday or Thursday, um, but yeah, with, with that said, um, here's my conversation with Stephen Brooks. There's a glass ceiling after a certain extent, but I think getting to six, six wins shouldn't be too hard. Oh, and the buy there is between the at Iowa and the at Rutgers games. Um, so that's two weeks before the Michigan game. So I guess, Stephen, um, what do you think their record will be? I, I guess we can we can have a discourse after that of why why you are at that mark. But I guess right away, let's rip off the bandaid. Say so, yeah, just reveal the ending right away. Uh, right now, <laughs> I'm at six on six. Uh, I will probably stay with that. I, I've said it enough times. I got to get it written probably here in the next same day or two. Right. I am going to go game by game. Uh, but I am at six on six. I do think uh, I agree with you. Of course, I mean the, the schedule is very very difficult, and mm. I think everything to me, fits pretty snugly into one of three boxes where it's like definite, you know, high probable loss, high probable win, coin flip. Um, right. I think I can pretty much put each of them in one of those three boxes pretty evenly. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 
the way that I was kind of arranging it, like in my head and the way that I've drafted in the article, which now I might have to change just because I was not aware that Maryland's season win total was at seven and a half uh, when I made this. But the way that I kind of arranged the tiers was um, there was four games that are going to be very hard to win. That's the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Washington games. Um, then the tier below that I had split one and that was at Nebraska and at Iowa. And then the tier below that I had probably should win as Maryland. And then the four other remaining teams as the, uh, most likely will win. Um, kind of my rationale for the Maryland game being a notch easier than the, than the Nebraska and the Iowa games was the fact that last year, Michigan state went over to Maryland um, I think their defense had the best two quarters they did other than maybe up until the Illinois game um, in the second half of that, where the offense then couldn't do a single thing. Um, Maryland was, uh, Maryland had Rakeem Jarrett. Um, Michigan State was in the midst of their injury riddled spell. Um, nothing was really working defensively. I think they went to some three, four in that game, got some stops. All of that said, with with the struggling roster in the middle of the cold streak, all the way out in the East Coast, they were in that game for pretty much the entire part of that. Rakeem Jarrett is now gone. Um, This game's at home. I just think that if the program wants to at least tread water, if not take another step, you just have to win that game at home. Um, Maybe saying they should win it is maybe a little bit of a stretch. I guess they should be in the toss-up category. But what do you make of that game, Steven? Yeah, that's one of those hinge games for me that's in my coin flip, you know, middle mm-hmm. bucket there. Um, I agree with you that they should, and and to to calm the waters, which uh, I think it's going to be ugly against Washington. Yeah, I, just, I don't think that's a good matchup for Michigan State right now, um, especially at least at that point in the season. So mm-hmm. I think you're, you're going to want to calm the waters with another home game that following week, and, and hopefully uh, if you're Michigan State, you get that one done. Uh, but they, like I said, they're firmly in my um, coin flip bucket. I mean, I think – Outside of that top four, I definitely agree with you. Those are the four hardest games. I put going to Iowa and playing out at Kinnick, right, just a, just a hair below them. Right. Um, I'm really big on Iowa and what they've done this offseason. Uh, I've loved what they've done offensively in the transfer portal. I think it's going to be a night and day difference for them, you know, for, for compared to how bad they were offensively yeah. last year. I think they're going to be just fine this year. Now, they're not going to light up, you know, not going to set any records, but, you know, they're going to be a good Iowa offense, I think. Yeah, uh, but to your point, the Maryland game, I, I wonder about them, you know, replacing, uh, as you said, Jarrett and Dante Demas. You know, oh, yeah, Demas NFL, too. Fringe NFL receiver. Can they replace that type of talent on the edge with even with uh, Tonga Bailoa back at quarterback? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree. It's a game you got to win, I think, if you're going to be on that, on the right side of six wins that everybody I'm watching this right. sure is hoping for. For sure. Yeah, that's, I guess I should have mathematically kind of quantified all that. So the the should wins. That was for me, Richmond, Central Michigan, Indiana, Rutgers. So you're looking at four wins there. Then Maryland in that probably win category gets you to five. And then split one um, with Nebraska and Minnesota. Actually, I forgot Minnesota when I was going through that the first time. And then I have Iowa also up in that tier of having to steal one. Um, Yeah, people can see this with their own eyes instead of me messing it up on the fly when, when it gets published. But yeah, so it's... I'm at seven and five with that math, um, with them taking one of those from the split one, taking the should win against Maryland and the four that they need to win for sure. Um, and then um, possibly stealing one. So that's where I'm at seven and five. You're at six and six. I guess I would say that I have a very, very hard time of seeing them somehow reach eight wins. 
I don't know who that would come against. Um, maybe an injury to Michael Penix or Drew Aller being much worse than advertised. Um, that records go out the window dynamic thing in the Michigan game, I guess, but they're just so strong with running the ball and stopping the run that that's hard to, hard to say this year. Where, where do you see an eighth win coming if you operate off of my seven and five to begin with and then are trying to feed the optimist somehow, some way into, into giving them an eight? Uh, let me see here. So that would mean um, one of the big four probably, you know, or yeah. or an Iowa game. Yeah, um, or beating every single team except the big four, which would require almost unprecedented consistency from a team that's then losing to everyone that's really good. Right. I just don't think going to Iowa, that's the first game of the year. I just, I you know, I just, I really have a hard time seeing that one. I agree. I have a really I hard agree. time with, with Washington. As I said, I just think that's such a tough matchup mm-hmm. with their strength of their passing offense against yeah. Michigan State's unproven, you know, I guess we'll say at this point, pass defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I do think six, set, five, six, or seven wins are the most likely total. Mm-hmm. I guess eight would be the fourth most likely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I just over the weekend said I think Michigan's going to win the national title. Right. But as we know, I mean, that game gets weird. It gets close. Yeah. It gets tight. It gets emotional. All that stuff. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm gonna give them a shot regardless. In yeah, that game. For sure. I guess you could sneak one there, uh, or it would be there or Penn State. I think, as you okay. said, maybe if Drew Aller isn't ready for the task, yeah, and maybe if his front seven is just clamping everybody down and the, those right. running backs can't get loose on them, mm-hmm. maybe that's the, the the recipe for sure. And I think Penn State's a team that they have beaten, even when Penn State is very good. Um, right. Michigan's a team they have beaten when Michigan's very good. Ohio State, just I, you didn't mention it. I don't think it's really worth mentioning. Um, I don't think, um, obviously, other than that, that time they went down there with um, a team that was good enough to make the college football playoff, that was the one time that they did it. But don't see that happening this year unless Marvin Harrison Jr. decides to sit out after they lose two games before that somehow, some way, and five other things go their way, and then. Yeah, even then, I don't know. <laughs> even then, it's tricky. Um, Washington, right. I, I'm I'm with you there. Um, it would have to be have to be an injury to Michael Penix for me to even consider that. I think right now, I don't I don't know if they even cover that game. Um, I don't think that that necessarily means that um, like it's a very negative omen for Michigan State if they don't win that game, or I guess even make that com- game competitive because you're talking about a top five quarterback in probably the NCAA, maybe top seven, talking about probably the best receiving core in the Big Ten other than – no, them or not the Big Ten, sorry, in, in the NCAA, but they might be number one, honestly, at this point. Um, so you're looking at a very good air, air attack there, and you have possibly 60% of your defensive backs being class of 2022 guys. Maybe Caleb Coley steals that job by week three and, and also gets up there 80% possibly it's just such a tough task and you're really just going to be relying on a pass rush to get there somehow. And speaking of this pass rush, you have a very good defensive line against the run on paper. I think Chris Bogle and Zion Young are both big, big, strong defensive ends. Obviously the interior defensive tackles, we can go on and on about them. All the, all the linebackers that should be seeing the field this year should all be good against the run, but we haven't necessarily seen a bag of kind of pass rush arsenal from, from any of these guys. And um, I still worry about the linebackers in pass coverage. The, the four guys that I kind of see in the playing group, Cal Halliday, um, Jacoby Winman, Jordan Hall, 
Aaron Brule, none of them really have a, I guess, a positive trait of pass coverage in their list of strengths and weaknesses. What do you think that the front seven looks like in terms of helping the pass game? And are people getting a little too excited with kind of giving them credit for anchoring this entire pass game? Um, I think the I, I'm with you on everything you said. I, I do worry about the linebackers, uh, you know, holding up, especially you know uh, against a mind like Kalen DeBoer and um, mm-hmm. his OC Ryan Grubb. I think is his name. Just the way mm-hmm. they schemed Michigan State up last year was uh, a masterpiece. You know, you had to tip your cap after that. And so you know, Jacoby Winman was met with the media the other day, and he said he bulked up actually, as opposed to dropping weight. And I was expecting he would say the opposite. Because I was, we know last year he had to play that two-way position. He's still going to do a lot of that this year, I think. But I figured he would want to shed weight to get better right. in space, covering those those middle zones and everything. So, yeah, I do worry about that. Um, and then same thing you said. I mean, the D-line is stocked up. But, but what's everybody say? They're big. They're beefy. You know, they're mm. stopping the run. Nobody says, like, you know, they're crack of the whip, you know, bend the edge type of guys necessarily. Um, so I, I do wonder about that just raw ability there right and so therefore you know how do they make up for that how do they have to schematically manufacture that pass rush but you know look it's college football i still think if they're getting guys in third and 12s all the time because right. they are so good against the run look a lot of these college quarterbacks you know they're just they're just not that good to fit it in these windows on third and long third and 12 third and 15 consistently so if they're if they're just blowing up the run repeatedly and putting the offense in really tough on a distances that will be enough i think to mm-hmm. let these young guys, the Dylan Tatums of the world, uh, yeah. Malik Spencers, the, the DBs, mm-hmm. figure their way out. And, and by November, you know, maybe we're talking about that as a strength. But at least initially, I think they got to sort of, you know, help those guys out. Help those guys right. out a lot. Yeah, that that all makes great sense. I think um, for the first time since Mel Tucker's been here, the defensive backs are going to have some youthful energy and some optimism for the future. I don't necessarily know how much in a vacuum this unit will be able to cover better than they have in years past. So the end product might not be any different, but I think if you're talking about them once again, not being as refined, not being as good, I think for the first time it's going to be for positive silver linings, I guess there um, with some of these guys being very young. Um, I think uh, Malik Spencer is a red shirt freshman and then the other two are true sophomores. Um, so yeah, a lot of youth there. Those guys are going to be playing there for a couple of years. Next year is probably the ideal goal for them to look polished and, and like totally cohesive. Who is somebody that is not getting a lot of buzz? I won't even put any like criteria or filters around that. Who on this team, offense or defense, whether it's someone you've seen at practice that stood out in the couple minutes you get to watch per week, um, or if it's just somebody you've heard chatter about, Who's someone that you think will make more of an impact this year than people are giving them credit for? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I could go a couple different ways. I mean, we, you mentioned Zion Young. He's a guy that I think right. is going to be primed for a really big season. Uh, Malik Spencer as well, I think, could have a really big year. Uh, but I guess I feel like people sort of know those guys. Um, I'm really curious about Jaron Mangum in the backfield mm. because I just think that that sort of hammer element is something yeah. they haven't really had at the running back position um, under Mel Tucker. Um, one of the tight ends, or maybe just maybe mm-hmm. it's just every tight end that's not Malik Carr, I guess, right. is probably not being talked about enough because look, yeah. we all know Malik, and we all, you know I think everybody assumes he's on the precipice of having a big year, and I'm, you know, I'm right there with him. Like it, he definitely should, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he could go along. You know, on the side, he could go a long way toward helping whoever this quarterback is. You know, feeling nice and comfortable back there, I think. But 
everybody behind him, you know, um, they, everybody's saying Malik's being is a much more intentional blocker. He's made he made progress there. He's there's more want to and effort there, but still they're, they're going to need another one, you know. So right. whether that's Tyneal Hopper, who I think has shown some of that at Boise State, has more of a fullback sort of build there. I mean, the guy's played in like forty something college games, only has like twenty catches. It's a six-year guy, you know, so he's not a big downfield threat. But uh, mm-hmm. if he could just, you know, make you more solid at that C-gap area and give you those, give some of those outside runs a chance, then he's going to be an unsung hero of the offense. So somebody like that, maybe it's Jalen Franklin instead. Maybe it's Evan Morris instead. If one of those tight ends could step forward and, and really solidify things as a blocker, I think that would be, you know, definitely something that nobody's talking about. But, other, you know, those guys you mentioned, yeah. Lee, Zion Young, um, mm-hmm. any of the new D-linemen, I think could all have big years. So. There's a couple of different ways you could go with yeah. it. So what is what what are your expectations for Jordan Hall this year? Because in the spring, I was kind of thinking he'd be like one of those strong special teams kind of guys, waits his turn this year, is one of the obviously leaders of next year's team as as a redshirt freshman, true sophomore. As the summer has gone on, fall camp has gone on, I've completely reversed course on that and I expect him to firmly be in the rotation. You're closer to getting to see what he looks like with the pads on, what he, whether he looks the part or not. Um, is it possible that by the end of this year, he could be maybe one of the starting linebackers in, let's say, a 4-3? Mm, that feels like a little too far for me right okay. now. Um, I mean, just look at all the experience he'd have to pass up. You know, no injuries and all that, you know, did some things crumble the right way, unfortunately, for other guys, you know, and then mm, that was right. favorable for him. Maybe. I, I don't think so. I do think we'll see him get a handful of defensive series a game. I was with you, you know. He's, mm. I was like, okay, he'll be on every special teams unit, um, you know, and then maybe in the fourth quarter a couple times we might see him out there. But I, I think we're going to see him fairly regularly uh, on the def- just in regular defensive snaps. I mean, mm. they love that kid. You talk about what does he look like. I mean, he is the part that you want to look like. I mean, he, he is the mold. <laughs> he, you go out there, you're like, oh, man, like, where's the freshman at? Because number five right. is like a junior, you know, who could maybe go to the <laughs> league after this year if he has a big season. So uh, he 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 is the part. You know, he doesn't look the part. He is the part right. uh, in that respect. So I'm curious to see him, too. And can he give them, you know, can he be a plus player uh, in the coverage like like you talked about? Right. I, mean, I don't know. If, if We've seen a lot of Cal Halliday. I think that's an area that, that they'd like to see him be better. Um, yeah. women was a smaller window at that position, so I just don't know. I think Brule has done some decent stuff there, but yeah, I mean, that's if that's their top four right now, and I still think just to throw in, I still think we see Darius Snow sometime this year. I'm not mm. going to say when, I don't know when, uh, I don't know if anybody knows when, but I do think we will see him at some point. But until that, that looks like the top four, and right. so with that being the case, I think Jordan Hall is definitely going to get regular defensive snaps, um, okay, pretty much every game. That makes sense. Rotational basis, and then if he can somehow be a better pass coverage guy than the rest, then maybe his his potential to play more snaps grows from there. Last year, Michigan State was atrocious in getting like three yards when they needed three yards. Um, they just they they just I don't know whether you want to blame more the offense line there or Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard's lack of vision there. But at, at the end of the day, I'm sure the blame falls a little bit on everybody. This year, I'm very optimistic on the usage that Jared Manga would be getting in those roles and what he can bring. Um, I think you you look around college football, the NFL, it's almost like an art form to get those short yardage, um, those touchdowns at the goal line, those fourth and twos. You can have two guys that are very good uh, running backs as a whole, like Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards, but a guy like Blake Corman will be much more effective in, inside the five-yard line than a guy like Donovan Edwards, even though both of them have a bright future at running back. 
this is where I think that Michigan State can really win in the margins. I guess I don't know if that's really on the margins, but like one small component where they should have a big leg up than they did last year is with Jared Mangum. Is is that fair to say? What what are you kind of thinking of of that running back room outside of Nathan Carter? Yeah, I I, I agree for sure. I, I think Jaron, you know, people might say, well, what about Connor Hayward? When I say they haven't had a big back really like this, so you know, I say, well, go back and look at like 2018, right. 2019, you know, uh, some of his touches, and it just, you know, it, he was just never instinctual mm-hmm. as a running back. It wasn't necessarily his fault. He was thrown into that position. He did the best he could. And then, look, he turned himself into a pro in another position. So I'm not trying to hate on Connor Hayward. Um, right. He plays for my favorite team now. But <laughs> it just – he was never a true running back. And you saw so many yards left on the table and just other things. And even when he did find the hole and hit the hole and, and went through the hole, you know, he'd get chased down from behind or whatever. It just – Jaron brings so much more instincts and just natural feel for the position, I think. So that's going to be better. But, I mean, as Mel Tucker will tell you uh, – it was the whole operation last year. I mean, the running backs had their thing. We remember different uh, screw-ups there, whether it was mm-hmm. Elijah Collins needed to set up the field goal, needed to go inside to get that straightaway field goal against Indiana, goes outside. Yeah. Or, like, there was, like, a critical third and one at midfield against Washington, and, and Peyton Thorne and uh, Bruce Hart are on two different pages, mm-hmm. and he doesn't he misses the mesh point, and they just get blown up, you know, Uh there's that. There's the offensive line, I think, has been up and down. The tight ends, I think, have not, you know, probably caught enough blame for the, for their role in last mm-hmm. year's run production. So it all does have to work in concert, and they all have to be better. Um, but yeah, having a true power back, I think, will be an element uh, that that they've been that we'll see that they've been missing. And then just the ability to stay fresh. I mean, I still think I don't, I'm not I'm not erasing Jalen Berger from this thing. I think he's still going to have a role somewhere. Uh, but I do expect Carter is at the top of that, you know, just mm-hmm. based on it. There's an overwhelming amount of, of buzz you hear about that kid. So yeah. it's, it's too much to ignore. Yeah. And then I just think uh, Mangum is so different from Carter that he, he fills a natural need as yep. sort of a supplementary, complementary guy. So those mm-hmm. are the two that I look at a lot right now and say, okay, yeah. you know, yeah. let's see what they can do and how they can change this. For sure. I think, um, yeah, we don't need to talk too much about Carter because I think everything's been said that from from every outlet and everyone you can think of, Essentially, the way I expected, he's probably not going to win the Doak Walker, probably not going to be a Doak Walker finalist. But I think um, he's going to be as good as they could have hoped to find from a portal running back. Um, if you forget the Kenneth Walker expectation and, and that comparison, that bar, um, I think uh, between him and Magnum both being at it there, I'd be curious to see what happens with Jalen Berger's role. Um, one thing I was going to say that I want to see more from Michigan State's offense this year before I kind of caught myself and was wondering who would even have that skill set is more of a usage or involvement in the in the receiving game. Um, I guess we'll see if Jalen Barberin plays plays much this year or if that's more of a next year type thing. Um, but yeah, that, that would have been nice, but that was kind of jerk. Broussard was probably better at that than anyone on this roster and, and even they didn't use him in that much. Um, but I guess, yeah, so, so that's kind of ruining my answer for that question, but is there anything for you, Steven, that you want to see concept wise or personnel wise scheme wise that you want to see Michigan state do this year that they didn't really do last year? Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't really have much off the top of my head. You've heard more about the idea of them getting the going, getting back to the QB run. Um, I'm always Mm. gonna be a fan of that. I mean, it's just, it's such a weapon to have. And if, you know, if, if Noah Kim is, is the guy and he's really one of the 20 fastest dudes on the team, which Mel Tucker mm-hmm. said like a, a month ago, 
um, then shoot, maybe you really got something there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll just say real quick, going back to Carter, just quickly. You know, I think yeah. I don't think you should expect Kenneth Walker, um, but I do think he's a guy that will be able to maximize everything that's in front of him. I don't mm-hmm. think they did that all the time last year. I mean, if a play is blocked for this much, I think he's going to find the right hole, hit it, and get as much as he can. Whereas I think there was some disconnect last year with, yeah. hey, you know, why did this not work? Well, the hole was there, but the back didn't do this, or vice versa, the back was ready to go and the hole wasn't there, whatever. But I think Carter will do a lot uh, a, a lot better job maximizing what's yeah. there to be had and getting you know getting what he can get. Um, yeah. Other than that, though, I'd say the QB, QB uh, run – and then just, you know, I, I, I think um, – I do think they should rotate more of those receivers, like we touched on. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I just don't think without an alpha dog – I mean, you had, when you had Naylor, you had three pros out there. I'm, I'm counting Keon Coleman as a future yeah. pro. I think that's safe to say. And when you don't have that sure sure. pro, I think you can reach deeper into there. And why not get a Fitzpatrick, some yeah. reps, and Montori Foster, and all those soft, or second-year right. guys that we've talked about already. I mean, I'd like to see a little more of that. Um, I think they have the ability there. Yeah, and I I guess it's not necessary if the guys that are starting are playing well, but I would say the same thing for the cornerback spot. Um, Just like you can probably see in the first few games, like from from an eye test perspective of what they look like, of whether Terry Roberts, uh, Marky Lowry, um, and those guys are worth playing ahead of maybe a younger guy like Caleb Coley, letting him take his lumps develop, um, what the difference in in margin of, of kind of maybe wins above replacement there would be. Um, or maybe just play them all rotationally, but there's, there's enough guys, enough bodies in that cornerback room, Malcolm Jones, um, obviously Dylan Tatum, who I've projected as a starter, um, Charles Brantley, um, maybe a chance Rucker, Eddie Pleasant. I know um, you guys have heard that Ade Wiley has been doing very well in practices. So it's just, it would be good to see some sample size on some of these guys outside of maybe that Richmond or, or central game. Um I don't really have anything else for you, Stephen, but I did want to ask you, how do you see these first two games going? Is it going to be both of these scenarios are going to be where they get the backups in by like middle of the third quarter? Is one of these two teams going to scare them more than you would think? And they might not play the starters until the last drive. What is what is your kind of just off the cuff take on, on how these first two games might go? Yeah, this will probably come back to bite me, but I mean, I, I'm expecting two, two blowouts, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, multiple, you know, both, we should see multiple QBs in both games, I think, um, regardless of if, mm-hmm. if one guy's here and the next guy's, you know, a, right. a good gap behind. I just think the margin should get there. Um, I, I definitely think there will probably be some growing pains offensively with all that new personnel at the skill positions and a new quarterback. But I just think that size on the D-line alone should really muddy things up for these two teams and just the, the caliber of schools and programs that they are um, and just the guys that they have up front versus – the guys that are going to be trying to block on Michigan State's D-line. I mean, that should just mm-hmm. – there shouldn't be a lot of openings there. Now, look, if somebody breaks three on breaks three on a jailbreak screen for 80 yards or mm-hmm. one of these quarterbacks gets loose, you know, is mobile and, and shakes free, okay. But over the course of 60-plus games, you know, I, I think that – I want to see him dominate him. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, as I said, I told Jack Evelyn, I think no news is good news because mm-hmm. I don't think you can come out of either of these games. Even if they're both 50 to nothing, let's say, I don't think you can say – Look, Michigan State's going to be good this year. I told right. you, guys, you know, I don't think you can say that. Right. But I do think if there's troubling signs, you can go, whoa. You know, so it's like it's like no news is good news. Um, but I do expect I do expect two lopsided scores. And I, as I just I don't think that's indicative of what's to come after that. I just think it's going to be right. indicative of the difference between Power Five football and you know right. middle tier uh, FBS or FCS. Right. 
Sounds good. Well, appreciate you, Stephen, making all this time and, and coming out here and talking about what you think is going to happen this year. Um, hopefully you're spot on with that six and six. Um, hopefully, I think the fans are hoping that I'm more right with the seven and five. But I'm, saying, way, I'm not rooting for it. I want you guys to all be happy, have a good time, but uh, that's, that's right. just where I'm at right now. For sure, for sure. But everyone, make sure you read Stephen's piece when it comes out here with the record predictions in the coming days and then also everything else that he writes. And uh, like I said, thanks again, Stephen. Really appreciate all your time. Definitely. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. Good luck with the rest of the season, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. For sure. See you in the press box in the coming weeks. But with that, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the SD4L Show. And I hope you enjoyed our season preview, and we will see you back here shortly in a couple of days.